You are listening to episode 75 of Paz de Chipotle. I'm your host, Rocío Carvajal, food anthropologist, Mexican culture and gastronomy educator. And on this podcast, I explore the gastronomic traditions of Mexico and bring together the voices of cooks, authors and entrepreneurs who build cross-cultural bridges around the world, championing Mexican food. And you can find more information about my podcasts, publications, and subscribe to my newsletter on my website, pasdechipotle.com, or simply click the link on this episode's notes. so good to be back and especially at my favorite time of the year when every day is jumper weather and of course the anticipation of Dia de Muertos fills up the air across Mexico which of course is what this traditional special will be all about. For the last years I've done some different variations of it but I realized that most of the cultural history that I have shared has been about the traditions from central Mexico that were largely influenced by the Mexica or Aztec culture, which is, well, the one I grew up with, and of course I am very familiar with that. But I think it's a bit overdue to talk about other similar practices that emanate from other traditions. So this time I want to explore a little bit some of the fascinating rituals of Mayan origin with the addition of a very appropriate short story by the renowned Mexican anthropologist and archaeologist Eduardo Matos Moctezuma that is called Yaotl in the Land of the Dead. The Day of the Dead celebration is a cultural pillar for Mexico's rituals of memory, conviviality and spirituality. The contagious joy of the vibrant decorations, foods and music that give this celebration its distinctive character really transcends languages, borders and beliefs, as around the world people identify this fiesta as one of Mexico's most joyous cultural export. On a personal note, and of course as you heard on the intro, I am very happy to share with you the news that I can finally breathe in relief after finishing off my postgrad and presented my exam and jumped through all the hoops and can indeed call myself a food anthropologist. And I want to thank all of you for the many messages of support and encouragement that I've had over the past year and before presenting my exam, uh, which indeed was a crazy intense period, but also very rewarding, as it will indeed help me continue doing a much better job at doing what I love. As ever, I have put much care into the making of this episode that I really, really hope you enjoy. So let's get started. Mm. 
Dia de Muertos, or Day of the Dead, is such a special time of the year for us here in Mexico, and also for everyone around the world who, like you, carry a little piece of Mexico in your heart. You see, us humans love life so much that we find it very difficult when we have to say goodbye forever to someone we love. And that is why there are hundreds of different ways in which people around the world perform funeral rituals and have special ways to honor the memory of the dead. Even at the dawn of humanity, when people didn't even have a language to communicate the way we do today, they did share and experienced deep feelings of loss and sadness. And their funeral rites tell a very moving story of love and attachment to the people that had a special place in their lives. And they tell us that they were very likely to experience this process as a community, finding comfort in each other. And also created tales, myths and stories to tell their children about their ancestors, so they could hear from them even when they were long gone. Our modern world is really not too different when it comes to these traditions. People from different countries have their own way to honor their ancestors and, well, make sense of life and death. I know most of you have seen, at least on Instagram, Day of the Dead altars, which are called ofrendas in Spanish. And surely you have wondered where did this tradition come from and what's the point of celebrating the dead? Well, I will try to answer these and a few other questions as we explore these wonderful traditions. Long before the Spanish conquistadors ever came, the many pre-existing indigenous cultures that inhabited Mesoamerica spoke different languages had different religions and particular ways of life. But they did share a few things in common, like rituals that helped them create a sense of togetherness and the notion that our souls carry on existence forever and ever, but in different forms and in different worlds. You see, the Mexica or Aztec people were, at some point, the largest tribe of all so much so that they created an empire. And they believed that there were many gods, and each one of them had a special influence upon the forces of nature, like wind, rain, the sun, and water. And they believed that some deities, that means gods, also ruled over life and death. So the Mexica came up with the idea that when someone died, that person's spirit had to go through a long journey into the underworld of the dead, called Mictlan. In their mythology, this world was ruled by the gods Mictlantecutli and his wife Mictecatzihuatl. And some people used to call her Mictlantecutl. Mictlan was believed to be a dangerous place, and the Mexica thought that only the pure nature of the innocent spirit of a Xoloscuintle dog, which are these cute hairless dogs from Mexico, were the ones who could guide the souls and protect them through the long journey through different levels until they met with the gods of the underworld, 
they paid their respects and, if they were lucky, were granted permission to come back into the world of the living, and some of them even did so in the form of guardian spirits. And this is precisely what certain types of ofrendas or altars are all about. The indigenous people really thought that we were all children of Mother Earth, and by using elements that were in nature, like water, wind, fire and earth, they could create a symbolic union between the world of the living and the world of the dead. We know, thanks to many archaeological works, that altars contained many objects, including seeds, foods, ceremonial incense, um, also burners and flowers, but there were, as well, personal belongings from the deceased people to whom the altar was dedicated to, like spears, arrows, tools, and even jewelry. After the Spanish conquest of Mexico, the new colonial regime imposed one single religion, which was Catholicism. Also, people were forced to learn Spanish and change their way of life. And understandably, this transition was very complex, but indigenous people found a way to negotiate their traditions in a manner that their practices weren't completely lost and part of their old practices survived and they were mixed with new forms of expression. And Day of the Dead ceremonies was indeed one of them. The colonial festive calendar was, uh, well, a mix of European and indigenous practices where certain dates and forms of celebration were negotiated And that is how we ended up with a set of dates that begin from October the 28th to November the 2nd, when Dia de los Muertos is celebrated. Now, there isn't really one unique or canonical way to celebrate this tradition, Dia de los Muertos, and also not everyone in Mexico shares or even knows the many styles and practices that each community has. For example... Some visit cemeteries, while others worship the dead in caves. Some do it in the fields, and many build altars at their homes, which we call ofrendas. For each of these days, we prepare something special, and there are many styles, sizes, and types of elements that go into our altars. In central Mexico, where I am from, they tend to have several levels, much in the style of a pyramid, and different elements will go in each level. And let me tell you a little bit about the meanings of these ritualistic items. The burning of incense and copal when we set up our altars is very important because our ancestors believed that it cleans our houses from negative energy and prepare it for the souls to visit and feel welcomed and at peace. We also lit candles and burn oils, as people believe that this special fire will serve as a guide, like a lighthouse or a beacon for the souls to find their way back home from the world of the dead. And one of my favorite elements are, of course, edible sugar skulls, which can be made with amaranth seeds, some are made with just sugar, and there are some made with chocolate. They are decorated with sugar paste that is dyed in bright colors, 
And when we buy these skulls at special sweet shops, we often get one skull for each person that we're going to honor in our altars, and we have their name written with sugar paste on the skull. Cut-out paper is a somehow modern element, because it was in the early 1930s when people in the town of San Salvador Huixcolotla in my home state of Puebla, uh, when they started creating this beautiful and intricate design using colored tissue paper, or as we call it in Spanish, papel de china. And they became so popular that people use sheets of cut-out paper and even bounding to decorate altars, parties, and even weddings. Another important item that goes into our altars is, of course, food. People work under the assumption that spirits can't actually, you know, sit down and eat the way you and I do. But we believe that they can feed from the essence and smell and warmth of the food that we prepare specially for them. So many people go as far as making breakfast, lunch and dinner and change it every day for the duration of the Dia de Muertos celebration. Flowers are another important element, and there are three particular kinds of flowers that many people use for this purpose. The most famous is, of course, Sempasuchitl, or marigold, with its beautiful deep orange color, round shape, and very intense perfume. We place them in vases to adorn the altar, but also make paths with their petals, all the way from the entrance of our house in the front door to the altar. We believe that the spirits can follow the trail all the way to the altar. The other two popular flowers are baby's breath, or nube, as it is called in Spanish, and cock's crest, or terciopelo. And these flowers have an unusual and very beautiful shape, texture, and deep kind of purple-red color. During the 1800s lived a famous caricaturist called José Guadalupe Posada. And he had a very particular style of drawing because he used a technique called engraving. And he created a very special character that first appeared on a newspaper. And it was a skeleton dressed up as a very elegant woman with a fancy dress and a hat and flowers and feathers. And he named her Catrina which in Spanish means uh, elegant lady. And instead of being scared or put off, people really loved this engraving so much that from that moment onwards, many other artists created all sorts of ornaments like posters and postcards and cut out paper, drawings that are still very popular to this day. And they are a total must-have at your Day of the Dead altars. In the 1900s, when photography finally made its commercial debut and became affordable for everyone, rich or poor, this meant that people could finally have their portrait taken. And when they passed away, their families had their photographs to remember them exactly as they were. And so families started using this modern form of art to place it at the altars and give them a special meaning. And this is a practice that we still carry to this day. 
In 2008, the United Nations declared Dia de los Muertos as cultural heritage of mankind, meaning that the idea was to share with people around the world the beauty and importance of this tradition and teach everyone about the cultural value of it and appreciate it better to preserve it. So as you can see, Dia de Muertos is a very special tradition, Well, now, thanks to social media, television and streaming devices, the world can get to learn and be inspired by our culture. And really, we can say that marketing has a lot to do with this phenomena, but ultimately is uh, down to our personal choice and responsibility to decide to adopt or be inspired by traditions from different countries. And, well, here in Mexico, it's not uncommon to see a mix of, uh, like, Halloween and Mexican Day of the Dead decorations. And I believe that if cultural loans are done respectfully, recognizing the richness and history behind these traditions is, well, a good way to get to know each other across cultures. I will... Come back very quickly after a little break and a sip of water. Continue your journey learning and discovering the amazing history behind the delicious Mexican gastronomy and learn to prepare wonderful cultural feasts at home with my ebooks Mexican Market Food, Mexican Fiestas, Street Food and Mexican chocolate. With dozens of stories, recipes, and vibrant photography, each book is a window into the cultural and culinary traditions of Mexico. To know more about my ebooks and start the making of your own family traditions, go to the notes of this episode's post to find the link to my virtual book stand and get ready to cook, learn, and enjoy Mexican food like you never imagined. Now, I told you at the top of the show that I really wanted to share with you a little bit about other types of Day of the Dead traditions from other cultures from Mexico. So, this segment is dedicated to explore the Mayan world. The Maya Civilization predates the emergence of many other cultures from Central and Western Mesoamerica. And the Mayans' proximity to the Olmec territory in the east coast facing the Gulf of Mexico meant that they had an intense cultural exchange with different groups. However, each one of them developed very unique cultural identities, belief systems and ritualistic practices. And the cult of the dead was no exception. There are some debates about, well, when exactly did the Maya develop as a civilization? And carbon dating has helped us have a better idea with archaeological evidence that indicates that the early beginnings of the Mayan took place between the years 2600 and 1800 BC. But where did the Maya live? Well, this culture dominated the large region located in the peninsula of Yucatan, including parts of the state of Chiapas, Tabasco, Campeche, Yucatan, Quintana Roo, and in Central America, Guatemala. 
In the collective memory of the Mayan, and, well, certainly in their myths of origin, there is a special importance given to caves as, a, well, symbolic places that brought together the realm of humans with the underworld, inhabited by dark deities and the souls of the dead, which was known by the name of Xibalba, which we can translate as place of fear. There are many myths linked to Xibalba that are documented in the Popol Vuh, and one of them is really important for the Day of the Dead traditions. And, well, it is extremely confusing and intricate, and I will attempt to explain it the best possible way. So there were two brothers by the names of Hun Hunapu and Bukub Hunapu who were playing the ball game near a sacred cave. What the myth says is that the noise upset the lords of Xibalba, who then decided to invite the brothers to go inside and play there with them. But actually, they had every intention to make them pay for disturbing them. And so, the two brothers were tricked into descending in the underworld, where they were sacrificed. The body of Hun Hunapu magically transformed into a calabash, which was then picked by the daughter of one of the dark lords of Xibalba, who fell pregnant as a result. After a while, she gave birth to a set of twins, Hed Apu and Shbalanke, who grew up with the idea to avenge the death of their father. When the twins were old enough, they carried on their plan, which was to challenge the gods of Xibalba to a ball game match. And it was won by the twins, much to the anger of the gods, who forced them to go through an ordeal of many trials and tests. But the brave Hedapu and Xbalanke managed to pull through, and with that, the twins destroyed their power over humans, resurrected their father, who became the Maya god of corn, and clear the way for the universe to be set in motion, the sun to rise and begin their journey across the sky. The legacy of this myth is very important, as for hundreds of generations, all societies across the Maya world have continued creating rituals honoring the twins at caves and also at sinkholes or cenotes. The specific funerary rites and ceremonies dedicated to the dead have a close connection to the myths of Xibalba. And in the religious views of the Mayan, they believe that while the dead bodies of their loved ones no longer have life, they continue having a relationship with their souls, or Pishan. And throughout the year, not only during the last days of October and um, the 2-1st of November, they practice special rites dedicated to appease and honor the Pishan or spirits of the dead by preparing special meals, lighting candles and setting up altars with other ceremonial elements. The notion that the gods of Xibalba allow souls to visit with their families to be fed has inspired many culinary traditions to feed both the souls of their loved ones and the deities of the underworld. And one of such foods is part of modern-day practices and is a delicious dish called mugbipoyo, 
which I think is best described as a type of tamal prepared with masa to which whole black beans are added and is filled with marinated pork, which of course is a colonial addition, with a delicious sauce or kool infused with a chiote paste and topped with epazote leaves. A portion of the masa is used to form a base, pretty much like you would shape a pie crust, which is then filled with the pork that I just mentioned and on top has another disc made of masa. And when all ingredients are assembled, they are wrapped in banana leaves and baked in an earth oven, or as the Maya call it, peeb, for about two hours. And it is normally served with a garnish of fiery habaneros thinly sliced and lightly pickled. These and other types of food are often described as hanalpishan, but this actually refers to several types of ritualistic foods And the precise and correct way to describe these edible offers, according to the linguistic rules of the Mayatan, is Uhanalpishanov. Nowadays, many people of Mayan heritage prepare offers for the Pishan or the souls of the dead during the same time period that in central Mexico we celebrate Dia de Muertos. The offers, or matan, include food, water, candles, sweet treats, and flowers, among other items. And just like in ancient times, at many rural Mayan communities, it is still very common to bury relatives in the family's property. And so, people make a trail of flower petals, or ash, called ubel pishan, from the graves to the place in the house where the altar is located. A few weeks ago, I baked my first mukbi pollo, and it was amazing. I followed the delicious recipe researched by my friend Nancy Lopez, which you might know in Instagram as Mexican Made Meatless. And bear with me to the end of the episode, because I have very exciting news to share about her latest ebook. Now, but I really want to highlight the fact that in Mexico there are indeed dozens of different rituals and practices related to the Day of the Dead. And, you know, it is easy to think that what you see on social media like carnivals and body painting is representative of a unique way to mark this occasion. And... Well, the reality couldn't be more different. Just as these new expressions are fun and inviting, there is indeed much more depth and variety if you look closely. Now, to close down the 2021 Mega Day of the Dead special, I will read a short story that I translated for you and is inspired by ancient Mexica myths, which I read many times when I was a child. And it was written by a famous Mexican archaeologist and anthropologist called Eduardo Matos Moctezuma. And it is called Yautl in the Land of the Dead. There was once a young Mexica boy called Yautl, who was quietly sitting outside his house, 
watching the sunset fall over the vast valley of Anahuac. For the first time, he noticed how the light dimmed covering the city in shadows and the orange and copper fading light turned into a single shade of grey. Yautl felt how the darkness made him feel cold and distant from all the things he loved. His house, his dog, the trees. And he shivered knowing that in a very dark evening such as this one, his father had died in a battle. And just like the other warriors, he would soon transform into a beautiful bird of colored feathers. This was a bittersweet moment and Yawatl stretched to reach his faithful dog, Xolotl, who was snuggled at his feet, snoring and happy. But Yawatl could only feel sadness and loneliness. He then remembered that his mother told him that every day, after the sun hid away behind the distant mountains, it would continue sinking down all the way until reaching the place where the dead are, Mictlan. Gently petting his dog, Yautl tried to see through the shadows that covered the valley and started daydreaming about walking up to the horizon and finding his way through the darkness. He knew that the place he was looking for was far and dangerous, in his vision, he continued walking down a long and narrow road, but luckily, he was being followed by his faithful dog, Xolotl, until they both heard a terrible noise and they froze in fear. What was that? Yautl and Xolotl ran to the edge of the road to see where the noise was coming from, and they saw two giant mountains clashing against each other and realizing that the road would lead them exactly there, Yautl yelled, Xolotl, come on, let's run fast and get through the mountains before they clash again. Come! They ran as fast as they could and just as they were coming out on the other side, the noise started again and the mountains closed down causing them to run even faster for what they felt it was a long time. After a while, and a bit out of breath, Yautl said, Oh, that was close, but there are still many dangers ahead before we reach Mictlan. And they continued walking quietly, until suddenly they stopped and they saw a giant snake that appeared in front of them and showed every intention to attack, rattling his giant tail. Yautl and Xolotl, who had no plans of ending up at the snake's dinner, and for a moment the snake seemed confused, until Yautl told his dog, Go run to the right, and I will run to the left. We will confuse the snake. And so they started running and the snake ended up all tangled and confused as the boy and the dog made another very lucky escape. But before they had any chance to recover, they saw another threat ahead. A giant green mass moving before them. And as they drew near it, 
they realized that it was no mountain. It was an enormous lizard guarding the path. Yautl whispered to Sholotl, Come, let's walk very quietly so we don't get eaten. But as they tiptoed around the lizard, the monster sniffed the air <laughs> and inspected everything with its large eyes. And suddenly, its long tongue almost licked Yautl's face. Both of our heroes ran faster than ever. But this time the lizard didn't give up and chased them hissing and throwing bites. And just about when they thought they couldn't run anymore, they saw a giant willow tree ahead of them. And they ran and hid behind it, growing from one side to the other. And very quickly, Yautl grabbed a fistful of dirt and just as the monster got very close, he threw it on his eyes and that gave him enough time to run away. With renewed determination, they continued walking fast for a few hours, until they realized they could barely move forward, as if an invisible force was almost stopping them from continuing. At the same time, they started feeling terribly thirsty, and they felt as if no lagoon would ever be big enough to quench their thirst. But sadly, there was no lagoon, no river, and no pond around. There were no plants and not a single drop of water. Almost fainting, they continued walking, dragging their feet until finally they seemed to reach the end of that horrible valley. And all of a sudden, they felt lighter and no longer they felt thirsty or sad. But just as they were feeling relieved, off into the distance, they saw eight enormous cliffs. Yaozu couldn't contain his frustration, and saying out loud, he said, Sure, little, oh no, what are we going to do? How will we ever be able to get through the creeks? The little dog just tilted his head as if saying, Well, don't ask me, this was your idea. All right, all right, I know one thing, Sholotl, we can't go back. Not after all the effort we just did making it all the way here. Well, are you ready to go on? Sholotl wiggled his ears cheerfully, reassuring Yautl that he was more than happy to continue. So off they went, up and down the creeks, until they came out of the last one, and they were met with a most wonderful sight. A beautiful stream running cheerfully with the purest and most refreshing water. They both looked at each other and jumped in, splashing and laughing, and they played and drank and even found some edible plants to fill up their hungry tummies. And they were so tired afterwards that they just found a nearby spot and fell asleep. After a few hours, a cool breeze awoke little Sholotl, who started tugging his friend's clothes. After Yautl got up, they both continued walking as the air turned colder and colder. The boy felt his face hurt as he realized that the wind, which has turned rather violent, was carrying tiny obsidian blades cutting his face. 
He tried to cover his head as they continued walking, but through the ordeal, little Xolotl made a lucky escape because none of the obsidian blades seemed to touch him, and so he was able to guide Yautl across this place. When they finally reached the edge of this valley, Yautl got up and saw his knees, hands and legs all bruised and bleeding from the tiny obsidian cuts. Oh, Xolotl, he said, this is too hard, just too hard. And the poor little dog tried to comforting him, licking his knees and hands. Oh, thank you, Xolotl. Well, don't worry, I think we're nearly there. And I think I see an entrance. Come on, let's take a closer look at those strange-looking plants. Come, come this way. As they made their way through the dense bushes, he soon realized that they had reached a river. The river that all souls must cross before reaching Mictlan. But this was no gentle river. The current was louder and violent and menacing. So Yadl bent down and, gently patting his dog's head, said, My dear friend, You have been a most faithful companion through this adventure, and there is no way I can cross this river without your help. Remember what my mom said? Only a little dog like you with reddish-brown skin has the power to cross the river and enter Miklan. And that's you, Xolotl. Only you can help me. They both look at each other, pondering the seriousness of this moment. And Yaotl said heavily, I am afraid, terribly afraid, but I must get there. And without waiting for another moment, little Xolotl jumped into the river, and Yautl followed very quickly. They slowly moved to the other edge, but the strong current kept dragging them back. Yautl was trying to hold on Xolotl, but a whirlpool sought him in deep in the water, and deeper and deeper, Xolotl barked frantically, until a few meters ahead, finally the body of Yautl came up. But he wasn't moving, so the dog swam very quickly by his side and whispered something in his ear. After that, the boy started coughing up the water and grabbed Xolotl, who dragged him to safety, reaching the other side. <coughs> <coughs> Dog and boy shook off the water. Yautl felt happy again and lucky to be alive. They made it. They made it. They really made it to Mictlan. Oh, right then, Yautl said. I don't really know what else there is ahead, but I will enter the cave. And if I take too long, please come back. Come back and get me. To which Xolotl replied by licking his friend's hand and reassuring him that he would do just that. Soon after Yadl entered the big cave, he felt a shiver run down his spine when he noticed thousands of bones scattered everywhere. Some skulls were stacked up in piles that were as high as the ceiling, and as the light went dimmer, it was really harder for him not to step on the bones that laid on the floor. This made him feel very uncomfortable, but he continued walking very slowly, crossing several chambers. Until suddenly, 
he heard a terrifying voice that said, Tell me, boy, what are you looking for in the land of the dead? Yautul felt his legs going weak and he was more frightened than ever before. How dare you entering the realm of Mictlantecutlia Mictlansiwatl, Lord and Lady of the Dead? Yautul couldn't say a word, and the dense fog that saturated the cave slowly began clearing and a deep violet light shone from the direction where the voice came from. And then, clear as day, right in front of him, sitting on their thrones, were the flayed lords of the underworld wearing shiny gold bracelets and jewels. Answer, boy, yelled Mictlansiwatl, making a Big effort and shaking from head to toes, Yautl finally whispered, Well, well, you see, the journey was was so dangerous, and, and... What are you doing here? That's what we want to know, roared the Lord Mictlantecutli. And continuing with a shaky voice, Yautl said, I'm looking for a warrior that died four years ago. And mustering all his courage, Yautl said firmly, He was my father. Don't you know that warriors don't come to Mictlan? Their mission is to follow the sun every morning. And those who are alive have no place here. You will be executed immediately. This time Yadl was truly terrified. He couldn't stop staring at the empty eye sockets of the Lord and the Lady of Mictlan. And he really wanted to run, but his legs didn't move this time. And in that moment, Mictlan Siwatl stood up and walked towards him. No, no, please, my lady, he pleaded. I didn't know I was breaking the rules when I came here. I didn't mean to intrude. Please, please, my lady, I just want my father, please. The Lord Mictlantecutli also got up and slowly walked towards him. Yautl snapped out of his trance and was finally able to step back and then took a few more steps and then a few more. But then he stumbled upon a wall of bones and everywhere he looked seemed to be full of skulls and bones that were drawing nearer and nearer, ready to trap him. And just when he was about to give up, he heard the frantic barking of Charlotte coming closer and closer. Yautl felt like he had just fallen into a hole, and a million images were spinning frantically in front of his eyes, faster and faster. And suddenly everything stopped, and he jumped, opening his eyes, and it took him a few seconds, still breathing heavily, until he realized that he was just sitting in front of his house. What had just happened? He could still hear his heart pounding, and he was still gasping for air, trying to understand all of this adventure. Was it a dream? 
Was it real? He looked at the distance and saw the sun setting down and about to hide behind the mountains. And then he saw Xolotl, who on the other side seemed perfectly happy, running in circles chasing his tail. As he looked at his dog, he felt a gentle breeze touching his face. And when he turned again, he saw the most beautiful hummingbird, and its feathers gleamed as the fading light made the colors spark. The bird stood only a few seconds in front of Yertl, and when he tried to grab him, the bird took off flying away towards the mountains. The boy stood up and ran immediately inside his house. Mom, Mom, I saw Dad, I really did. He came to see me. I understand now. He's always been here with us, following the sun. Thank you for listening. This episode was researched, produced, and presented by me, Rocío Carvajal. And as ever, there are a few extras, freebies, and recommendations for you. As I told you earlier, my dear comadre, chef, and vegan blogger, Nancy Lopez, just launched the book Mexican Tamales Made Meatless, Traditional Flavors Made Vegan and Vegetarian which is a delightful collection of classic sweet and savory Mexican tamales and also some of her delicious creations, in which you can find, of course, a yummy, meat-free version of the Mayan mugbi pollo tamal, which I mentioned earlier on the episode. I was incredibly honored to be asked to write a foreword for this ebook, which you can get from Nancy's website, Mexican Made Meatless. And on the notes of this episode, you can find the link to her website. And also there is an exclusive promo code, which ends on November 15, and it will get you 15% off your purchase. Also, on the notes of the episode, you will find a link to download a free digital copy of an illustrated Spanish version of Yaotl in the Land of the Dead, or Yaotl en la Tierra de los Muertos. And since all parties need a great playlist, please check my own Dia de los Muertos themed YouTube playlist with music, songs and other tunes that I think you will enjoy. And the link to my playlist is on the notes of this episode. Well, that's it for me for now, my friends. Feliz Dia de los Muertos to you all. Until the next time. 